0: these ideas this morning and adapt and modify them um, for what for what's right for you and your school but most important what's right for your families because that's what
1: engagement is all about. So, let me get my presentation up and running. Okie dokie. So, I thought we might start by defining what we mean
0: by engagement, because I know that it means different things to different people. So if we're to reference the meaning of engage in a dictionary, we'll find words like attract, to participate, to become involved in. And all these words certainly fit the context of of what we're talking about today, particularly to participate and to become involved in. For the purpose of this morning, I'd like to Define engagement as a customer-centric approach that provides value beyond a transactional relationship. I might just minimize that down there for the moment. Um, I really like to highlight the point,
1: customer-centric as well. It's about providing quality interactions
0: and experience that develop trust, loyalty and commitment from families. And it's a measure of how a school interacts with families across all touch points throughout their life cycle with the school. The purpose of engagement is not simply about generating a source of enrolment applications, because I think a school's marketing campaign will do that for you. We engage with families because we want to establish an emotional bond and and an attachment to our schools which increases the likelihood of a commencement. And, and we really want families to become great ambassadors for our school. So today we're going to, to explore the cycle of events that lead to an enrollment application so that we can identify opportunities or touch points, if you like, that provide purposeful and meaningful interaction. Um, hopefully we're going to also share a few engagement initiatives with you and, Um, I really want you, at the end of the day, to go away and consider strategies that are right for your school, so I'll give you some tips on how to document a good strategy as
1: well. Okay, so school admissions have
0: evolved, and I'm I'm not telling you anything that you don't know here. Um, I think back to my own experience starting school. Basically, I was put on the school bus and off I I went. It was many, many years ago, let me assure you. For my own children, there was some discussion. We considered options. We applied to one school. We were interviewed and we were so, so grateful that our children were given a place at that school. Now it's a different world and parents have different expectations and children are becoming increasingly involved in the decision-making process. Families are becoming really picky consumers. They want you to sell your school. They want a wonderful, engaging and bespoke experience. They want bragging rights. On top of this, families have many, many options. The school market is highly competitive. An applicant is not a confirmed place, and a confirmed place is no longer a guarantee of a student commencing at your school. A current family, does not ensure that a younger sibling is going to start at your school. The admissions office has another layer of pressure with the school's expectations to ensure a full classroom at the beginning of each year, and this can really weigh heavily on the admissions staff. To survive all these pressure points, I would suggest it's no longer an option to treat a prospective family like another name on a list. I just wanted to share with you a story, and some of you will have heard this um, before. At the Queensland Chapter Conference last year, we had a parent representative come and talk to us on our panel about what parents want. She was in the process of looking um, for a school for her daughter. She'd narrowed it down to two schools. She was heavily swayed by a school that had invested in what she described as an authentic relationship. She said that her family already felt like they were part of that school community. And that was 12 months before the daughter was due to commence at that school. The other school that she was considering, which on paper was an excellent choice, had not met the benchmark for this family. And so that's how powerful a school's engagement um, strategy can be. It's quite it can be quite a, a dilemma. If you're looking for a competitive advantage, your engagement strategy might just be it for your school. We can go on to the next slide, Sheila. Thank you. So when I first started out in admissions, I have to move my notes onto the next slide here. When I first started out in admissions, I planned most of my engagement activities around an enrolments funnel. I wanted to know how I could engage with families as they moved through each phase, um, from a prospective family to an applicant confirmed and so on. And that was a really good place to start. Um, But I found it was quite linear and it had a lot of um, limitations. The first problem in you know, working off the school funnel was that you can't see all the players. What about the families that are not yet on your radar? Or well, sometimes we call them these ghost families. They stay hidden until an application is made. Now you might question whether or not it's even possible to have any sort of engagement with these families, but I think you can, and I think you're already doing it, even though it's not evident. The other problem is that it stops at the point of a student commencing at the school. And I like to think a good engagement strategy goes beyond that point. It's also too school-centric. It's not customer-centric as we defined right back at the beginning of the presentation. So to truly understand the cycle of events, we need to understand the journey of the prospective family and how they progress through each, each cycle or each interaction with the school. Um, And in doing this, we're able to to bond and um, find more favourable opportunities to interact. Next slide, thank you. Okay. super family there. So understanding what drives your families empowers you to make better decisions about your timing, your messaging and how you go about building those connections. One way of doing this is by mapping the prospective family journey. Um, If you've never done this before, a great way to start is to um, hold focus groups with new families and and, discover what their journey was. Um, Your school marketing team may have already done this for marketing purposes. So mapping the prospective student journey allows you to pinpoint the relationship between the family and the school across all channels that they interact with. It paints a picture of a family's experience as they get to know the school, and it helps us to understand their expectations as they move through each stage of the admission cycle. It will give you a deeper understanding of what families want, and it will lay a foundation for the bespoke experience that the new generation of families are demanding from us. Another benefit of the journey mapping is that it will help you to identify any weak links that you might have in your current plans, as well as strong points which you can leverage to attract ideal or specific students to your school. Next slide. Okay. So, I'm about to describe to you a prospective family journey. It's something that you can do for yourself. Um, Make your own diagram that represents your families, but I'm going to give you a general observation uh, that might help you get started. So discovery is always the first phase of a family's journey. At this point, the family discovers your school for the first time. It might be through word of mouth from friends, colleagues, associates. It might be that they've seen a billboard driving to work or they've read a story in a newspaper. Um, It might be through social media. Um, At this point, they may or may not be considering a school. Um, they, They don't really have strong opinions or make any decisions at this phase. And then they move into the research phase. When they're ready to consider their schooling options, they continue to discover schools. They explore further online through word of mouth marketing, social media, they may contact the school for prospectus, they may come on a tour of the school, they may um, attend an open day or other activity at your school. They find out as much as they can about their schooling options. They start to form opinions and they start to eliminate options and then they move into the compare stage. With all the information that they have um, and everything that they've experienced to this point, they'll compare schools, they'll weigh up the pros and cons, they'll judge, they've just completed a very thorough competitor analysis for you. Their opinions about each school are becoming quite firm and they start to make informed choices. And then they will shortlist. Um, We know that that families generally will shortlist two or three schools. Um, Some will do more. Um, Influences might be cost, location, academic standing, the type of school in general, Um, but also the way that they're treated, whether or not they found a school easier not to deal with. Um, While they may have a number one choice, this does not necessarily mean that the child is going to start at that school. It's just a short list. And then they will apply. The family will make an application, as as I've mentioned, it's often to more than one school. Um, I think that what happens from this point forward is really, really critical in your engagement strategy. After they've applied, they go through a review process. And this may be that they're waiting to receive um, offers to see what happens um, with their applications. Um, But they will definitely make some hard decisions through this phase. They're also, um, as well as being influenced by what happens within the school, there's also those external factors at play as well. So the word of mouth marketing continues to play a big
1: role. And hopefully they will accept a place at your school. Let's ones
0: accept Sheila. yeah. So they'll pay a fee, sometimes reluctantly to hold a place, but families are starting to do this at more than one school. We're finding that they'll often accept um, you know often two but sometimes three places. Um, of course, this can be very costly for, for a family, but they're doing it. They might be waiting on an offer for a selective school, or they might be waiting to see if they've got a scholarship, or they're just not 100% convinced. So they may accept a spot at more than one school. And then um, the next phase will be prepare. So the families will attend uniform, uh, uniform fittings, interviews, orientations, onboarding, um, I'd like to think that the majority of families have really made a decision at this point, but we do know that that there's always those last minute changes, there's always last minute offers, last minute scholarships, or just last minute minute decisions. It's really awful to lose an enrolment, you know, the weeks or months before um, a new school year, but it does happen. It's really hard to fill a place at that time. Hopefully, without any trouble, they'll move into the next phase where they will commence at your school. And last but not least, the final phase is promote. We want our families to have a wonderful, engaging experience that they will go and talk about to other families. So they become part of that whole cycle. Okay, the next slide. Opportunities for engagement or touch points. Your school will have established its major and minor um, touch points or opportunities for families um, to engage. Um, That could be from your website, your print materials around the prospectus, um, families coming on tours, open days, interviews. You may have many others. This is just a, a general observation of the sorts of touch points that are key to schools. If you can take a moment to think about your Touch points, your key opportunities to interact with your families. I'm not talking about those transactional things where they might, um, you know, apply online and get an email back. That's very transactional. I'm talking about opportunities that families can interact, participate, where they can express their concerns. They are your key touch points. Do, have a think about your touch points and questions for yourself. Do they provide families with timely and meaningful interaction? Do these touch points ensure connections that are customer-centric, not school-centric? And if we really want to know the answer to those, let's have a look at the next slide, Sheila. Okay. I've taken those major touch points off my previous screen and I've dropped them into my family journey. Notice that most of the engagement is clustered around the discovery and research phase of the journey map. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we need to attract a lot of families at, at that point in our, our student cycle. But what really worries me in this slide is that that there are so many gaps. And I know that you will have other activities that are happening with your school that you may be able to slot in there. But what I'm, I guess the point of this slide is to really take a look at your engagement uh, touch points and where they sit on the prospective journey. I would question on this illustration, um, if I could do more at the application phase. For most schools, applications are online family submits a form, an automatic email is um, generated, and that's all they receive. What would happen at that point if you picked up the phone and said, hi, I'm Susie, I understand you've just submitted an enrolment application for John to start in 2025. Um, Thank you for your application. I just wanted to let you know what was going to happen between now and then. This is my phone number, this is my email address. Call me if you've got any questions or concerns. Find out something about the family, something about the child. Add it into your CRM and you can use that later on. Now, I know a lot of you are thinking, probably many of you are saying, well, we already do that, but I know a lot of schools don't. Um, and, And I think, you know, it's like, well, we don't have time to do this sort of thing. But if your classrooms are not full, I would question you can't afford not to be doing the picking up the phone and talking to people. Um, Okay, the the compare and shortlist, you might be thinking, well, how do we engage with families at that point? Consider that families have just been on a tour or they've just been to open day. Um, Do you contact families at that point? Are you missing an opportunity to liaise with family as they're going through those decision-making processes? What's your offer process like? can you do more to connect through this process? What about offering an online Mm -hmm. Q&A, just not, you know, during the COVID-19 era. This is something that you could roll out later on. Um, You could have an online Q&A session where parents could address the executive. Um, An online session with relevant heads to talk about online bullying. Or it might be um, a session around sport or creative arts or something but think about all the other things that you could be doing along the family, the student journey, to to interact with those families.
1: Okay, next slide, Sheila.
0: Okay. The journey map is also a, a really good um, way to learn about pain points or problems that your, fa- that your families are experiencing through um, their journey. At what point does your school become difficult to deal with? Do you get complaints about your website or your online forms? Are your parents happy about the times you advertise your tours, the lengths of your tours? Perhaps you've had complaints about the way you conduct your interviews. Um, Perhaps parking is really impossible and and you're getting a lot of feedback about that. Um, It it gets um, very confusing for families that are navigating more than one school because every, every school has a different timing for an event. It's obviously that you can't deal with all these issues. Many of them are out of your control. But if you consider something like parking, you can't control the parking, but you can certainly email a family, give them a heads up, give them a map of the local area, um, give them a link to a parking app, recommend a time that they can come when the school's not busy. The fact that you've actually communicated with them, made an effort, it's all those little things that um, build respect and trust, and, and, and families just appreciate that you've taken the time to help them even if you can't resolve their problems. Mark the pain points onto your journey map and see how they might be impacting the progression of your family through those, you know, prospective applicant confirmed the funnel. Find out where those touch points are and see what you can do about them through better engagement. Um, Pain points can be great opportunities to engage. The next slide, Sheila. Okay. Now, this looks really complicated, but it's not so complicated. (laughs) The inner inner circle highlights the phases of the admissions journey. Um, so, So, that's the Discover Research Compare. The next layer has key touch points for engagement. So, I've added a few additional ones to my previous slide. The outer circle displays the major players or stakeholders in the admissions cycle. You might be able to think of a few more there. The point of this illustration is to show you that everything is connected. It's not just about you and your admissions team um, when it comes to the prospective family journey. And this is a good thing because it would be impossible for you to provide a meaningful and that bespoke experience to every family if it was just you. Okay, imagine this is a flywheel, um, spinning and generating energy, layer upon layer, considering a word of mouth marketing. We know that word of mouth marketing generates a lot of energy. Think how important um, current families and alumni comes. Think how important they are to your word-of-mouth marketing campaign. Every conversation that they have in public, in one one way or another, contributes heavily to the the, um, discovery and and right through that family journey. What are your ghost families learning about your school through word-of-mouth marketing? Is it positive or is it negative? Do your teachers and professional staff have... Um, an an elevator pitch or some sort of dialogue, so that when they do meet people in public, that they have something that slips off their tongue quite easily, something good and positive that they can say about your school. Think of families coming to the school for an interview. How well do the teachers and support staff connect with those families? How do they feel, how do the families feel about your school when they walk away? Are they greeted by students at the front gate? And what might, um, you know, what impact might that have? A positive one, I hope. Who do families meet when they visit the school for a school tour? Is it just the admissions staff, or do they meet with teachers, students, the principal, other families, current families? Look at your website, social media, other marketing materials, are they interlinked with seamless, consistent and reliable messaging? Do they build trust? How good is your CRM or your customer relationship system? Is it smart, intuitive, predictive, targeted? These are the tools that will make it easier for you to remember families, um, their phone calls and their conversations so that you can provide that individualized customer service experience. So I suggest that everything on this illustration is connected and it's all part of your engagement strategy. Food for thought. The next slide, Sheila. Okay. I'm going to stop talking for a moment um, because I wanted to um, give the opportunity for some schools to tell us about some engagement strategies that they're implementing, especially in this time where we can't have that face-to-face contact. Um, So I'm going to throw it over to Susan Ullman from St Margaret's Anglican Girls' School in Brisbane. Sheila, if we can
1: have Susan unmuted. Yeah. Susan, just unmute your microphone and you should be able to talk now.
2: Susan's left, I think. Oh, has she She's just popped off my screen. So,
0: <laughs> okay. Well, would Angeline Karen from St Margaret's be there?
2: Uh, Angeline allowed to talk. Angeline, if you will mute your microphone. Yeah. Hi. How are you? Hi, Angeline.
3: Yeah.
4: Um. Susan was going to talk to you about something a little bit different to what I would be talking about. I work in the international space, so I'm talking more about um, some other initi- initiatives that we are doing to actually attract more customers um, for, with a view to actually make it, um, uh, with a view to have long-term enrollments. Would that be something useful at this stage or shall I wait till later? No, no. Go, go ahead. Um, I just wanted to talk about our study experience program. Um, Over the last, we commenced in 2016 with the study experience program, so it's a fairly new program. And I'm sure other schools are doing short-term study experiences or study abroad programs as well. Um, But over the last couple of years, our, and apart from um, this year, which is uh, impacted quite Mm -hmm. heavily due to to the COVID-19 pandemic. In 2018 and 2019, our program really um, uh, expanded um, in terms of number of inquiries we were receiving to um, uh, how many we could actually enroll. Um, Now, these are short-term study experiences open to um, international families wishing to come and have an individual overseas student um, immersion experience at the school. So they are immersed completely in the Australian curriculum. It's with a view also to actually give them an experience in an English setting, English speaking school setting. Um, And we offer program, uh, the experience periods span from six weeks to a term, to a semester and even a year. So, um, and once they finish their program, if they've had a really good experience. So that's, what, that's the key, is to provide them the best experience possible whilst they are at school. Um, and that also includes, and over the years, we've learned quite a bit about the impact it has um, on parents who you know, not, aren't able to understand our processes that well and how we need to tailor the uh, information to them. Um, so that they are at ease when their kids are doing the study experience. Um, one of the things we found was that we've we've tried to consciously move away from the study experience program being a uh, a babysitting program. Um, so that is why the minimum we offer is six weeks, because uh, we feel that six weeks is the best time um, frame for. Them to have a good experience off the school setting, to be able to uh, remember the experiences they've had when they go back to their home country, um, and some of the countries that we actually target obviously are the you know, China, Japan, Hong Kong, Thailand, Taiwan, um, PNG, Solomon Islands, and and other other countries um, as well like Malaysia, uh, Indonesia, Thailand. Um, so, over the couple of years, we've also had um, after they've finished their experience, they've also come back as full time enrolments, which has been a success for us. I mean, um, in for example, in twenty nineteen, our inquiries increased from having only six in twenty sixteen to thirty eight in twenty nineteen. Um, now, in terms of catering for that in a number of inquiries we can't obviously cater for all of them um, simply because we also have to look at the class size and um, and the impact it will have on the mainstream full time enrolments. Um, they um, one of the questions that's been asked is: um, Do students actually enrol as an international student? Um, they are classed as international students, but they are given a code of being study experience students. So they do not come under the CRICOS um, requirements until and unless they are going beyond the one term study experience where they would be obviously coming on a student visa. Therefore all CRICOS re- um, uh, requirements apply for them. Uh, does that answer your question, Lynn? Um, so that's been quite um, a success for us. Um, we, uh, just in 2020, before the COVID lockdown, um, we already have um, 20, 22 inquiries and we already had two study experience students in term one. So we've, um, the Japanese market is quite big on study experience. They like short-term study immersion courses um, and we've, since 2017, we've had um, we've made partnerships with some schools, not necessarily um, an agreement with them, but just a memorandum of understanding that we would allocate, say, two spots for study experience in secondary. And that's been quite successful for us with regards to a school in Japan. Um, so that's some of the things that you could do um, to um, look at prospective enrollments. Um, the other key thing that I was going to talk about was our um, collaboration with Study Brisbane um, on their student ambassador program. So this is targeting international students. Um, we This year we are the only school participating in the program. Um, it's a uh, because due to the pandemic, they have moved to a virtual program um, uh, Program so, um, in about an hour's time, I'm actually attending their virtual um, student ambassador induction ceremony, which is um, done by the, by the Lord Mayor of Brisbane. Um, now, this started in, um, it's part of the 2013 um, Brisbane Marketing Vision, where which is about visitor economy vision for Brisbane. Um, the purpose of this program is to raise awareness of Brisbane and create um, Demand in priority markets, develop, um, uh, promote to prospective students, and connect with current students and forming stronger ties with other institutes. Um, Now, this is a program where Brisbane and their education institutes to to friends and family throughout the world. They share information and promote events and initiatives that help to connect current international students with Brisbane and volunteer at Study Brisbane events such as Airport Welcome, City Welcome Festivals and Lord Mayor's International Student Friendship Ceremonies. Um, I'm wondering if there are schools who actually know about the Friendship Ceremony that happens in Brisbane. Um, They do it uh, every, I think every term and also I believe we are one of um, four or five schools that are participating in the Student Ambassador Program. there are 40 ambassadors from 23 countries. Um, the whole idea of this program and the reason why St Margaret's became involved in this is because it gives us, um, it ties in with our, um, our own broader strategies around um, empowering students as well as broadening our horizons. Um, this is a great way of actually marketing the fact that the school is involved in this sort of program puts your school out there in the um, in the uh, not only the community but the international markets as well. In terms of the initiative that sh- that is the student ambassador program, um, it gives a student the opportunity to um, showcase your school. Um, there are other you know social media platforms within within the um, student welfare and under eighteen guidelines, um, obviously. The participation for students from schools is limited, uh, given the um, requirements for student welfare and under 18s um, as per quite for international students. Um, but it's been it's been quite a success, and um, we every time if we've got new students that have come on board, we do. Um, uh, get them to participate in this in the city welcome um, ceremony, which is done by the Lord Mayor as well, where they get a, a welcome certificate and they take photos with the, the Lord Mayor. Um, the student ambassador program itself, um, they the student gets involved in um, certain activities that are done by Study Brisbane um, to promote Brisbane itself. And given the current market, which is, um, you know, and due to the issues with COVID-19, um, That'll be quite a challenge for a lot of schools who are dealing with international students to try and tap back into those markets um, that are quite heavily affected and China being one of them. So, yeah, that's what I wanted to share with you guys. If you need some more information about the Study Brisbane initiative, I'd be happy to actually share the the links to you.
0: That's wonderful, Angeline. And um, I thank you for bringing up... um, the international education market and, um, you know, I think often when we think about our engagement strategies, we we forget that that's, that's a whole different market and it needs to be culturally appropriate. and so we need to consider those touch points and how we interact with those families. So, um, and um, I guess also how important it is to, <laughs> engage and interact with external bodies like Study Brisbane, um, because they can play a big part. I guess, you know, add that into your flywheel of stakeholders. They're all partying, mm-hmm. playing a part of the engagement strategy. It's not just all about us in our little engagement offices or our home offices. Everyone can play a part. So thanks very much, Angeline, for that.
5: Um, did Susan come back online? I'm, I'm here. Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, good. Hi, everyone. Sorry about that. I was running away from the neighbour's MOA and um, <laughs> lost my connection. He seems to be having a break now, which is good. Um, so, yes, i it's Susan Norman from St Margaret's and I, um, thank you, Susie. I was really interested, especially you, you touched on ghost families because yes. last year um, when I started in my role, I was I was doing a lot of thinking around um, how we could extend our reach to these ghost families um, because i did some analysis into our feeder schools in particular and there was a really surprisingly small group of key feeder schools that tended to be the ones close close to saint margaret's and then a really long tail of um, other feeder schools and it was not particularly consistent from year to year. So I did some um, strategizing around how we could connect better with starting from, you know, those, that small group of, of um, the schools with the bigger numbers that of the girls coming to St Margaret's and thinking about um, more out of the box ways, because we've got our open days, open mornings, those those key events that you spoke about down pat, they all work like a really well-oiled machine. I was thinking about some more unique things that we could do. Um, and one thing I did with, um, we, we did as a team with wilston State School was offer to help them out at their school fate. And so sent about, 25 year 10 girls and they volunteered as part of a community service initiative to work on the stalls and the parents and the PNF really appreciated that and it was a way for families to meet our girls um, in a really authentic way, ask them about their school and you know what they like about it Um, and we, we got some great feedback there. And then I, I suppose I'm interested to hear if anybody has a, other ideas on what you do with your, with your feeder schools, because I'd like to build on that idea some more um, for us at St Margaret's in particular.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'd be interested to hear too what, um, you know, if anyone sort of wants to pop something into the chat box, if they're doing something interesting with feeder schools, that would be... Really good to, to know about. Thanks, Susan. Yeah, sure. uh, uh, one more, Jennifer Latoro from Brisbane Boys' College. Are you here? she is. Uh,
2: Jennifer, you can unmute yourself now. You'll be able to
3: talk. Hi everyone. Good morning. Hello. Um, at Brisbane Boys' College, um, obviously with COVID nineteen and keeping our family, that, you know, not. At- the college or visiting the college, uh, we've opened up webinars and opportunities for our prospective families to kind of tune in and find out a little bit more about um, what we're doing to service our current families. So we are hosting a webinar where we are providing, which um, is actually going to be led by our head of junior school, uh, where we are offering strategies and ideas on how to support learning at home. So this is designed to be a webinar that's going to be hopefully adding some value. Again, just building on that authenticity and just letting them know you know, a couple of things that we're doing here and implementing at the college, whilst at the same time, though they're not currently at the college, um, making them feel a part of the community. So that's been, that's been received positively out in the market with regards to prospective families that we have in the pipeline. Uh, so that's something we're looking forward to and we're posting that in the next week. So I might have a little bit more to share after that's actually done, but that's going to be led by ahead head of junior school. So I think it's really fascinating. As you said, Susie, uh, getting members of your executive involved. I think, you know, when you provide that access, I think families
1: really, truly appreciate that.
0: Yeah. Agree. Thanks, Jen. That's really good to hear. And um, I think it's really good to make use of, um, you know, tapping into those other Um, departments, using other resources, using your stakeholders. Again, if you think back to that big flywheel, it's getting everyone involved and, um, yeah, great initiative and I look forward to hearing how that goes. Thank you. Um, Sheila, are we able to maybe pop the presentation screen back on now? Mm, Yep. Um, And I think... Okay, so I've just got a a chat here. We've instigated a community partner campaign with all of our Catholic and DECD schools and had our principal visit each one. Uh, Look, everyone can read um, those comments in the chat bar. So have a look at that. And um, happy to have other people pop some notes in there about the things that they're doing. I think it's great. Okay. I might keep it moving along, though, because I'm conscious of time. And I, I think we're sort of scheduled about 40 minutes in here.
1: Yep. So, thinking about an online sem- seminar, which is slide 13, that's the one. Okay.
0: Look, I just thought I'd add a couple of things um, because we're work operating in this COVID nineteen environment at the moment. I know that everybody is thinking, okay, you know, how do we connect with families? We can't do the face to face things, so um, you know, Zoom sessions, webinars, um, it's the way to go. And I think, yep, you have to do it. You're absolutely right, um, but please keep in mind. Are that a lot of people are suffering from what I call Zoom fatigue. Um, I know that my husband and I are spending all our time at home in, in meetings, we're all using uh, Teams at the moment, we're using Zoom, we're on the phone and, um, you know, often if it comes to night time, um, we don't want to do it anymore. So don't overload your families with, with too much, be mindful of that. If you do have speakers, try and make them high-quality speakers. Try and get experts in. I know that if I have to log in to listen to someone, God forbid I've had to listen to myself all morning, um, but I'm really interested in those high-caliber speakers. So, if you can find the best quality you can, do that. Um, The next point is to make it interactive. Um, right back at the beginning, we talked about being able to participate, having involvement, being able to express your concerns. That's what makes it engaging. So, if you can make it interactive, please do. Um, the next point is to um, show some emotional intelligence. Remember that um, at the moment, everybody is impacted in some way or another, and um, I think that we we need to have empathy in how we deliver programs at the at the moment, so um, I think that's quite important. Don't be afraid to run a pilot program. I think it's okay to um, do something you've never done before. Get your participants in, involved in a pilot program. Um, families will be very diffi- uh, forgiving of your imperfection. Um, they will respect you for your honesty and your authenticity. So don't be afraid to do something to run pilot programs. Focus on topics that are relevant to your family's needs, okay? Find out what your families want and focus topics around their needs and their concerns. And last of all, um, work with all your stakeholders find out what's happening in your school. Um, You may have a robotics teacher running a great online session with the kids that you can piggyback off and um, share with incoming families, kids who might be interested in robotics, something like that. But definitely run around the school, find out what's happening, find out what's happening with your stakeholders like Angeline working with um, Study Brisbane. Use everybody it's not just you and your office, it's your whole school, it's all your stakeholders and it's all your community. Engagement is big community business. So my final slide for this morning, before we can jump into a few questions, um, I, I just wanted to give you some tips around documenting a strategy for your school. So the first thing you need to do is define your goals and objectives. And this is important so that you and others at your school understand what you're trying to achieve and why you're trying to achieve it. If you want the support of your stakeholders and if you want resources, you need to paint a really clear picture of your purpose and what your expected outcomes are. So if you're documenting a strategy, start there. Secondly, describe your families. What does a typical family look like and why do they come to your school? Now, don't describe your school, describe your families and what they're looking for. Um, I think this is important if you want to connect with families, you need to have a, a really good understanding of who they are and what they want. And this might also help you to identify families who are not right for your school. Okay, third point. Map the prospective journey to get a better understanding of the experience that family, the, the, the experience of each family as they go you know, on search for the school that's right for them. And I think once you've mapped that journey, then everything else you do will fit around that, that experience or that map. The fourth point um, from that is to identify your touch points or your opportunities. And also the pain points along the student journeys. And as I described earlier, the pain points can be wonderful opportunities to engage. Propose a range of strategies that fit in. And then last but not least, make it happen. (laughs) Which sounds really easy. Make it happen. Um, monitor and review and continuously improve on what you do. So that brings me to the end of my presentation for you, but um, we do have some time to answer some questions. Uh, how should I tackle this, Sheila? <laughs>
2: um, well, we. <clears throat>
0: I'm
2: just looking at the uh, chat. We. Basically, we have you've addressed all the information that's in there. Um, if anyone has any more questions, uh, feel free to raise your hand, and I'll put you on
1: speaker. Or else, you can put um, any questions you have in the chat. Wow! I've just
0: realised we have there's 153 people in this room it's a big room
2: yeah um, and we had more a few people have had to uh, leave due to uh, different things going on and at home etc I've got a few messages of people looking for the recording um so guys um, I'm aware of everybody's time it's yeah. precious so yeah. what I would suggest is if there's any more questions that come out of this or when you guys get a chance to review the recordings or look at the slides again, um, oh, there are some more questions coming in. Can you see those, um, Susie, or would you like me to read oh, them out?
0: No, that's okay. How many times do you recommend containing, contacting a family who have attended Open Day if they are not responding? Look, I, you know, if if a family is not responding, that might be a clear sign that they they're just not interested anymore. Um, You know, you can leave a couple of phone messages, send a couple of emails and then if you don't hear from them, I think that, you know, you you have to know when when to let go. I guess that's all part of that emotional intelligence um, stuff, just knowing when to let go. Um, And you have another question above that? uh, Are there specific service providers schools use to engage families or map their journey? Look, there are lots of companies who would be willing to um, take your money and do that for you. Um, I think if you have a look around um, school marketing, you will find that marketing companies are very, very good at journey mapping.
2: Um, Right, Ray, you can't see the question. So the question was, uh, are there specific service providers schools use to engage families or map their journeys?
0: Yeah, I I can't recommend anyone to you. But I do know that there are definitely um, marketing companies out there that are very, very good at um, journey mapping. Yep. Okay, there's
2: no more new questions have come in there so i would suggest that if you have any questions feel free to forward them to me or to susie directly and we make sure that they are answered um, i will be uploading a copy of the video and powerpoint onto our website in the resources section hopefully today possibly tomorrow because we've got another Uh, SIG starting up in approximately 20 minutes or so. Um, So Susie, thank you so much for your time and your expertise. Really, really appreciate it. Um, Lots of thank yous coming in from everybody there on the chat. So very much appreciated.
0: Yeah, look, thank you um, for allowing me to present this this morning. It's been really good. I'm quite passionate about Um, engagement strategies. As I said before, I work extensively with universities around their global engagement. Um, I'm also working extensively with the state emergency services training division around engagement of members at the moment. So how we engage with people is really, really important. So good luck with your own strategies. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Susie. Take care. Talk to you soon. Bye, everyone. Bye.